Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the third episode of Point of View Uncensored. Again, I'm, my name is Dr. Renaissance, educator and activist, and I let my guest hosts introduce themselves. Hello, my name is Jake Glazier, um, otherwise known as Dr. Jake. Um, I'm a psychologist, a professor. Um, right, right now I'm teaching classes that range from abnormal psychology, social psychology, mind and body psychology, um, as well as intro to psychology. Hey everybody, uh, I'm, I go by DJ, um, DJ the Great, uh, historian, um, truther, uh, naturalist, and um, HBCU alumni. I'll let uh, Mr. Sir Princeton go next and then Antonio can introduce himself. Hey guys, my name is Sir Princeton Harden. I am a teacher at the Ron Clark Academy. I've been teaching for going on 13 years. I'm new to the city of Atlanta, been here about two years, and I teach fourth and fifth grade science. My name is Antonio Lewis. I'm a candidate for Atlanta City Council District 12. I'm, I, I actually am a communications coordinator for ASME, the entire southern region, everything from Florida to Texas. Uh, anything that you see union-wise that come out uh, I see it or I touch it at least once. I also run a nonprofit organization called Organized to Mobilize. Uh, we are the premier organization in the country fighting to help HBCUs get uh, land grant funding. You all might have seen Tennessee State University get about $454 million a few, week, uh, a few months ago. We were, uh, our hands were all over that. Uh, I also run a creative space in Atlanta that uh, is similar to a recreation center uh, called O2M, O2M Strategies, where we uh, actually have students, uh, young mobilizers, and they do different things in Atlanta. We were able to do a college tour. We were able to take uh, 12 students from Atlanta to six to uh, three different states, to uh, six different universities, uh, three HBCUs and three uh, PWIs uh, this year. And so uh, I do a lot of things in Atlanta, we're very busy, but. Happy to be here tonight with you all. Glad to have you all here today. Great pleasure. So the first topic we want to discuss is critical race theory. Um, and I'll let Dr. Jake give a brief introduction on what it is, and then we're going to um, all expound on that. Sure. So critical race theory, um, historically, I believe, has come out of legal studies or um, studying the law. So one of the founders of critical race theory is Kimberly Crenshaw. She is a, a key concept in her work. It's called intersectionality. Intersectionality looks at the way that systems and institutions oppress people of certain minorities or certain people that have been disenfranchised. And it helps us understand the ways that our identities, whether being black or white, gay or straight, male or female, and so on and so forth, the way that um, those put us at a disadvantage to begin with. Um, of course, it goes back further, um, which uh, we could trace it all the way back to um, Marxism. Karl Marx uh, perhaps you know, inaugurated the first critique of capitalism, Adam Smith's capitalism, looking at the way that certain kinds of economies, um, again, back then, the distinction between capitalism and socialism, of course, right now, we're stuck with capitalism. Uh, but the way the different economies 
uh, commodify people, turn them into objects, make them units of exchange on the marketplace. Um, even going forward in time, uh, we can look at uh, different uh, French theorists in the post-structuralist school, Michel Foucault, Jacques Lacan, Deleuze, and Guattari. Um, these are all kind of famous uh famous French theorists that again pick up on this Marxist strand, building on Sigmund Freud's psychoanalysis, which is critical in nature, and specifically on the level of the psyche. You know, what defense mechanisms are we using to engage with people? How can we reflect on those? Um, but the French theorists really take this and, and build it um, it goes by a different name than what is the fad that the, the far right is trying to push, which is critical race theory a talking point of the far right, um, but it eventually evolves into what you what we hear on the news today, which is critical race theory. Um, and uh, I think it's a mistake. Of course, you know, I, I'm curious to hear everybody else's thoughts on this on the panel, but the, the, uh, the, the sounding board that the Republicans use is that critical race theory espouses that the United States is fundamentally racist. Right? That's what you hear on the news. That's, that's you know, what the Republicans say. Of course, while that might be true in a certain sense, that's not the main teaching of critical race theory. Critical race theory looks at the systematic way that, again, historically, people of color, um, people from different uh, geographic regions around the world, the way that they are in, uh, through institutions and systems and economies and uh, other forms of um, structure, the way that they're oppressed. Um, so it's a nuanced and it it's a nuanced approach in that it takes um, careful thought to really you know look at the way the, these intersect to again talk about intersectionality. Um, so just to say this blanket statement, you know that we hear Governor Kemp get, um, you know, in front of a news camera and say, you know, the, the CRT says that the United States is, is fundamentally a racist country. I think that is a really, does a really poor job of um, conveying a message that critical race theory tries to convey. And that's one of careful thought, of, of analysis, and of practical action, of dismantling these institutional structures. Right, going out in the world and actually educating, raising awareness. Um, so it's it's an unfortunate um, fact that it's become this kind of watered down version of what it used to be, at least in the media. Good, and, I, and that, we can segue into going deep into it. So um, a lot of times people talk about critical race theory. The first thing that come up is ca cancel culture. And so I want each of us to elaborate on the critical race theory, more importantly, cancer culture, and why do people use cancer culture with this new um, wave of things that's happening right now in our country? I'll let DJ, you go first. Give your... <clears throat> as far as cancel culture or is... Um... The whole thing, uh, in critical race theory, pretty much what is your take on why, why, are, we, why are people talking about it now? What, what's the significance of it? Um... For me, when I hear things that are at the forefront of like um, media, the first thing that comes to mind is who is the initiator and what benefit 
does this new talking point have? Um, you can't help but to feel sometimes that there's a lot of race baiting that does go on in this country, uh, especially when we hit key points for um, times of change, whether it be like uh, election cycles or um, after certain unfortunate events. Um, as far as um, how I feel about it, um, I feel like the questions that need to be asked are if based off the past, the country decides to not go forward with critical race theory, how does the black community respond to that? Is it just something that is going to satisfy another um, another aspect of us um, voting something in or, or feeling a part of a system? Or will it die um, and there be no initiative from within? So even if schools decide, hey, this is something that we don't think is necessary for a part of our curriculum, how involved will we be and continuing to share these stories of our history with future generations. And I'll let, um, and so, well, I'll let um, Sir Princeton answer that. So what do you think, I mean, you being an educator, um, do you think there's something we can do eventually is teach these type of, this type of curriculum in our schools? When you talk about critical race theory, right? So I'm going to be very honest. Probably about till a month ago, I've never heard of critical uh, race theory or CRT a day in my life. And then it turned into, you must know everything about this. And I'm gonna kind of branch this towards your council culture uh, piece. So what I see a lot of times is that if somebody doesn't know something, uh, a lot about information, they choose not to say anything on it. That's when that council culture starts to become real prominent. So what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna read the definition. So I went to thoughtco.com, right? And so it says critical race theory is a, a school of thought meant to emphasize the effects of race on one social standing. So when I look at that, when I look at that very basic definition, it tells me that they're teaching about how minorities or how BIPOC people have been um, have been marginalized systemically, just like Dr. Jake uh, mentioned earlier. So how do I teach this in class? That's the question. So before critical race theory came up, we had culturally relevant teaching. So I find it very interesting how the governments are trying, the governments, how the government is trying to purposely say, hey, you cannot teach about CRT in your classroom. But the question is why? So I also did some looking on and I looked at PragerU.com. And from their, this, their, from their definition, they did exactly what Dr. J said. They said, this means that America is fundamentally racist. Well, it, it, it kind of is. I mean, now that's something that us as black people, we see, we know, we've, we've experienced this. We've talked about all these things, all the racism that we have coming our way. So you telling us that America is fundamentally racist, that's the talk that we have with our, with our children. We talk about these things. We teach our kids these things at home. So now that the right is saying, oh, well, we can't say that America is racist, we've been saying it. Now you're just now hearing us because now it's becoming a thing. So um, CRT, there is a lot of information that needs to be taught to educators. Um, CRT is not in the educators' curriculum. So 
most of our new teachers probably haven't heard of it until now. So until we start putting these things in place to teach um, our teachers and then show them how to properly and effectively use it in your classroom to where you're not leaning um, left or right, but you're being objective with it and you're teaching the facts, then yes, it can be taught in class, but it needs to be factual. It doesn't need to be opinion-based. It doesn't need to be per your uh, perspective. It needs to be what are the facts and sorry systemically the facts line up and there is a need for our children both white black and any anyone to understand that these things are they're realistic things that that unfortunately happen but if you say that and they don't like you they'll counsel you right off the top of the bat or if you dispute it they'll they'll counsel you as well well antonio what do you think about even when he just said canceling people out because i know in different aspects they always talk about cancel like you know they cancel, you know. We, you know, they cancel Roseanne Barr from her show when she started talking about uh, racist, uh, making racist comments, or even with the um, state, the state representative Park Cannon. You know how she pretty much got canceled, got arrested um, for knocking on the governor's door. You know, and things of that nature. When they cancel shows and just like they cancel Bill Cosby and cancel R. Kelly and things of that nature. How does all that tie in to to this race? critical race theory in this cancer culture and even it being taught in education. What do you think about that? So you mean like critical race theory being canceled? Well, I mean, cause they kind of go hand in hand. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. And just looking at uh, here in Georgia, I'm gonna try to relate it to cancer culture. I don't know how to relate it uh, yet, but I, if, if we're saying that how Georgia is trying to uh, counsel it is how Georgia is trying to no longer teach about race in school, I think, and, and you also asked earlier about how uh, black people should respond to it as well. I don't want to hit both of those. Yeah. So, I, so when you think about like not trying to teach racism in school, it is systematic. Uh, if you if you just look at America as a whole, uh, how we started, we're the first country that actually said slavery will be based off race. Before America existed, slavery was not based off race. It was anybody could be a slave, right? And so if they no longer want us to teach that in school, you know, but but it's a true thing. So uh, when I looked up critical race theory, I saw how uh, I tried to look up the opinion of the Republican and the opinion, and I was thinking about my opinion as well. And so most, the opinion of the Republican is that they believe that racism is a product of an intentionally bad individual. They don't think it's, they don't think it's the system. They think, nah, it's that person. They don't want it to be taught that it's the system, the reason why people on third base, you know, they want to, They want you to think they hit a triple. They don't want you to know they were born on third base. But I, I don't know how to uh, relate it as much to council culture. Yeah, that was a bit challenging. I think that, that they kind of uh, intertwined and that you made it a little harder to answer. But I think people need to be held accountable you know, for their actions, uh, you know, so if, uh, you know, like use the example of Bill Cosby or R. Kelly, um, you know, should their careers just be canceled because of what they did? Um, I mean, I think there needs to be some kind of accountability. But if you think about, look at the guy off Seventh Heaven, like he, he supposedly um, molested children and they still show Seventh Heaven on TV. So with using those two examples, um, if you're talking about uh, entertainment where you're saying 
here are these two black guys and they did this one thing or whatever they were doing and here's the counterpart this white guy and he did something just as bad and these black guys got canceled and this guy's still around and the show's still going and uh why is that so and then it's like the comparison with education well we can talk about uh Rome conquering and Alexander and all of these sort of things, but we can't talk about this segment of history that deals with these people. And what I was saying earlier was, if it doesn't happen, then what? I feel like sometimes we make a comparison with the want of inclusion in a space where it's been shown you're not included. And instead of taking that as an opportunity to do for self, it's like we're, we're begging to sit at, at a table. So it's like, okay, if you create culture, meaning what made Bill Cosby, Bill Cosby, was it writers? Was it his char- charisma? Was it R Kelly's genius ability? Whatever the case may be. If you are the viewing buying power can you really be canceled? Same thing with, with educate or sharing your experience or your history. If it's not taught, but it is you, can you still be written out of history? So. I guess you can answer that. And so if that that makes better sense, as far as can we teach it in education or how can we bring this curriculum into our education? I was thinking, I just, in my mind, I just thought about how I can relate critical race theory to cancel culture uh, because if we teach it we have to cancel George Washington right because we'll have to talk about how uh, you know or we have to cancel Thomas Jefferson because we'll talk about how his slave created macaroni and cheese because that means he had a slave as a president he had a slave you know what I mean or uh, <clears throat> if we teach the real history of the country we have to get rid of some monuments right is that I mean that's the best that's the best way I can probably relate. That's I mean that's good. I mean I was thinking even some things like even the governor, I forgot the governor. He he was the vice president of the um Confederacy, but he ended up becoming the governor of Georgia. I forgot his name. Um Jeff, I know Jefferson Davis was the president. Whoever the vice president was, I got to look it up. But um they show his monument it's at the Georgia State Capitol now and, and you know he and he was part of the Confederacy, and then he ended up becoming the governor. And now they have a statue. You probably have a statue of a of a, a a person who's going against America inside our Georgia State Capitol. So Joseph Brown. But that's because the history was written by the the losers. So uh, we live in America. America is the only country in the world that glorified losers. The uh, Confederacy. Think about this right here. Uh, on January sixth, right? We all saw what happened in D.C. They, they flew a Confederate flag while saying USA. That lets you know, like, you're on the wrong team, buddy. You know what I mean? Uh, my, my university was built by uh, military men. It's the only mil- only university in, in, in the world built by color infantry men, right? They put all their money together for two years. They were making 10 cent a year, you know, 10 cent a piece at times. And they put together their money for two years to start the institution. The school right up the street was started by Confederate men, Confederate soldiers. As a matter of fact, their, their university was 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 used as a Confederate camp, Confederate uh, holding camp during the mil- during the Civil War. 
the uh, universe, the state of Missouri held all of their funding because they were using their money to fund the war against the United States of America. After the war, the United States gave money to that university while withholding money from my university. So if we don't know, if we don't teach CRT, we won't know that because I would never been taught that, hey, the state got to choose winners and losers versus HBCUs and Confederates, uh, you know, camps like University of Georgia, for example. And I'm sorry, the name was um, Alexander Hamilton Stevens. That was his name, the uh, guy that was the vice president of the Confederacy um, that became the governor of Georgia. Um, Sir Prince, I believe you were saying something, correct? Were you about to say something? Yeah, no. um, I kind of feel like exactly what uh, Ms. Lewis was just talking about as far as to teach CRT or to take on the theory, because I don't know if there's actually a curriculum, you know, exactly for more than just a mode of being making sure that you are telling the entire story, right? Because a lot of days we have, you get segments in these books and they leave parts of it out. So the CRT portion, I, I feel, would be make sure that you go and you do a little bit more research and you find out the backstory of what's actually going on. So you can find out that how the blacks were disenfranchised in this movement. So, but like he said earlier, that is going to require you to quote unquote counsel somebody, but counseling only happens when the math when the media gets 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 attached to it because they only allow certain stories to get out so stephen collins came and went r kelly came and he stayed r kelly has been a meme he's a gif he's he's all over you can press r kelly gif in your phone right now and you'll have a th- almost a hundred pictures pop up same thing with bill cosby they they plaster what they want to plaster and you can say that's systemic you can say that is by but those are black men. If you're a little hard on black men. Right. And so is that is that what we're talking about with CRT and the fact that Stephen Collins and they're still showing Seventh Heaven, you know, on certain series and the Cosby show. Do, are they showing the Cosby show now? No. I, I don't think that they are. It's like they kind of, I know, I know they took it off before. I think they might have snuck it back on TV land or something, but not how it used to be. And I know they, and I know they took it star too. They took it star from Hollywood. How dare those black men try to uh, achieve more? And what, they did that too. So we, we got to counsel them. We got to treat them that way. That's how our black community, that's how we treat them. We made sure we got them up out of here. And think other cultures Cosby. do that. Cosby is on our childhood, right? Especially if you didn't have a dad in the house. I'm going to tell you something. As a married man, uh, if, if he did what they said he did, uh, as, as a married man with, 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 with uh, nieces, I'm not for anything like that. Right, so let me let Jay, let me let Jay go. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. you remember what I, I they've been you know either accused of or found guilty of, right? So, you know, I don't know if you know the race excuses them for those acts, or I don't I don't think it does. Um, but of, of course, race factors into the conversation. They don't. They bury it. It's not that it's whether they're accused. It's the stories get buried. Like, as soon as Stephen Collins came out, everybody else's story trampled over the media. Think about the algorithms that you get inside your, on your social media. If they really don't want you talking about Stephen Collins, America's greatest white dad, then they're not going to put him in that formula. But, that's, but if Bill Cosby does something the next week or two weeks later, how they, dare he? he? How dare he? How dare he? Boom, 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 boom. 
you attack two of the most prominent black men in our community. We love R. Kelly. I'm talking about 12 play took me all the way from high school, all the way through college and some. Bill Cosby was, I had a dad in the household, but I was like, I wish my dad was more like Bill Cosby. Dad, wear these Bill Cosby sweatshirt, uh, sweaters. They took them away because why? One, they did some stuff that was real messed up. Let's say that. It was real bad. I'm not going to, I can never excuse what they did. But I will say that those algorithms put them more in the spotlight. So to where they are counseled a lot more quick, you know, qu quicker than Steven. I think a good way, I think a good way to frame the discussion is through what you guys, I've heard a couple of times called story or narrative. And so who gets to tell the story, who gets to tell the grand narrative of what's going on or what history was. And of course, you know, that factors into <clears throat> present day media, right? With the, the, the stories that are reported on, that are not reported on that are forgotten, or even going back to the example that Paul brought up of the Confederate statues, the historical concrete monuments that, you know, are erected. Um, so I think, you know, the civil war, like, you know, most directed up to 30 or 40 years after the Civil War by the losers. Are we talking about two separate things, just for clarity? When I hear cancel culture, when I hear cancel culture, and then I hear the media narrative, I, I associate them as two different things. When I think cancel culture, the first thing that comes to mind would be an example like Black Twitter, which is aside from the media, like the media or net, network tech, Network television, well, and what I what I mean the difference is network network television, meaning I can remove you from platforms, I can cancel your shows, I can make sure that you can't receive, um, uh, public publishing or it, it most some folks are making more money off. Well, for example, right, cancel culture and how and algorithms, algorithms, a uh, TikTok right now. Is having a uh, the black the black uh, the black the black talent for the black dancer basically doing everything for TikTok. They went on strike, and TikTok has lost money. The dances haven't been right since, right? And that that's media. TikTok is, and, and the reason why they went on strike is basically because TikTok would let's say if I create a dance, they I could create the dance. I do it better. They wouldn't even mean. My dance, they will make sure that my dance isn't highlighted. They will highlight my uh, my, my my brother, who's also a part of the, the, the podcast. Dr. Jake. They'll, they'll highlight yours instead of mine, even though I created it, to make sure he makes more money than me. And he would be the person that trends. And that's why the black the black folk went on a you know, strike right now. And that's kind of putting everything that you're talking about into one little bubble. That's the CRT. So that's the systemic oppression of black people based off of their race and then the council culture. So black dancers are now trying to do their best to make a statement for themselves by saying, okay, we're not going to create any more dances because if we don't create them, they can't copy it. They can't colonize our dances and make, make all the money off of it. So media, social media, Twitter, TikTok, that's where most people get most of their information. Network TV. I haven't watched ABC in forever. I'll watch CNN, YouTube TV, YouTube, YouTube TV. Once again, once it's that social media. Social media is so big right now. There are so many opportunities for you to find information. You can also find a lot of wrong information. But if you do your research, it's going to start with with your social media and those algorithms that people look at. 
TikTok can give you a lot of information in 60 seconds. And that's what all those TikTokers are trying to do. They're trying to give you as much information in 60 seconds as they possibly can. And whichever one the system decides to put out more, that's what people are going to see. That's who's going to get canceled. I, I think the best way that we can sum it up is cancel culture is a people and media is the system. So if in the system of media, the people have the ability to cancel how do we apply that to critical race theory? Meaning if the system decides not to include, what do the people do to cancel these actions? Meaning, okay, it's not being taught. Do we cancel America? Do we cancel the school system? Do we can't like the two kind of balance each other in a way. But one can't do without the other. If the people do not show up, then social media, like you were saying, when the dancers stopped dancing, TikTok went dry. There was nothing new. Nothing. There was there was no salt there. So if, okay, we're not doing critical race theory. How do we as a people decide, are the black teachers going to cancel school? Are the black parents going to cancel school? Or do we just go on with it, like roll over and continue to let the system do what it does? Yeah, and I think critical race theory, it's not, it's a thought process, almost like implicit bias, right? Yeah. So a lot of people are, right, they, we have in these implicit biases about certain people, and you can say that those implicit biases comes from, it's a stem off of critical race theory because it's what you're exposed to is what you see. So critical race theory isn't necessarily, um, I don't see it and I could be wrong. I'm, I'm wrong a lot. So it, it's, it's fine, but I don't see critical race theory as being, um, its own separate entity from, uh, social media. I see it as something that's intertwined. The, the word that they, the, the hot term for that would be intersectionality. There are all these, they intersect together and they all weave together to create this one purpose, which is the oppression of BIPOC people. I think we can all, I think we can all agree or maybe in different ways that the United States or America is founded on racist uh, systems and some of those systems, many of those systems, still haunt us today. <laughs> I mean, that's, and so that's actually a good segue to go into. Um, I know we we're talking about the sixteen nineteen project, which is a new project written by I think Nicole Harris Jones. Let me make sure I'm saying it right now. Yes, Nicole Hannah. I'm sorry, Nicole Hannah Jones. So she um she created this 1619 project, which pretty much gives a brief, like a good history about you know how slavery started in America, and um, they want to implement those into the schools. Um, but there's there's a lot of pushback, um, with her doing that. So I want to know what do you guys think about you know um, us pushing it into the schools? Do you think it's necessary? Do you think it's going to happen? Or do you think it's going to just going to be a, a never ending um battle? Interesting you talk about 1619 Project. I, I've been, uh, one of my mentors, he, he's been a part of it uh, since they started it. So he's been feeding me this stuff about uh, what, what was coming. And, and as you notice, I work on stuff from 1890 uh, up, up. And so anything you want to think about systematic in America, you got to go back to when they was writing this stuff. 
but you also know they wrote down a lot of the stuff that uh, they also wrote like what they were saying. You know how we're having like a meeting right now? These folks were, were so smart and so intense. They even wrote what people were saying during the meeting. So you can hear the dialogue around creating stuff, right? And so, uh, yeah, the 1619 Project should definitely uh, come into school. And if it's being taught by New York Times, New York Times is the paper record for the United States of America. So no matter what, what happens, like that's the paper that if a hundred years from now, whatever's in the New York Times is what, what was done on that day, you know, cause that's the paper of record. So we good either way it goes on my, on my end on that New York Times piece. As long as, like you said, as long as it remains factual, I mean, as, long as, you, as long as you keep the facts straight. So yeah, it's something that definitely needs to be implemented. For one, it, it sheds some light on a couple of things, but that light that is shedding is offensive to some people, right? You turn on the light in the room, if your eyes are closed, and you, you were used to being in the dark, and the lights come on, what are you gonna do? You're gonna close your eyes, you're gonna resist that, that change. So it's a lot of truth that's gonna come out of this story, and it does make people view America very differently. But facts are facts, and people try to run away from them. And DJ, I know you were saying, um as far as we need to be the one, pretty much, I was getting that you want us to teach our own history instead of looking for validation or asking for permission, ask for permission to teach our own history. So how, how what's the best way to go about, even with this 1619 project, which was invented by an African-American woman, and how how should we go about teaching that, bringing it into the schools, or if we're not able to bring it to the schools, what other alternatives do you think we should do? Um... We have a, a great history of um, oral uh, tr oral tradition of passing down history. Um, I think that goes back to a time period where we were more connected as a community and as a, a culture and more sense of um, pride based off of our connection with our ancestors. Um, I think that the best way for us to go forward would be to um, use our natural ability to make things interesting. The same way we choose at this point in time to make um, clothing decisions popular or um, who's the next hottest this or a dance or things like that. I think we have to get back to the root of cultural pride and to make it a popular thing about knowing the painful past that you're, you're from. So, um, even with, yes, sir. I think I disagree with uh, saying not write it, right? Uh, our oral history has gotten us in this place. I was thinking about like when we, uh, when you sit in the classroom and you tell one person, uh, one thing and you pass it around the class and by the end it's a whole different uh a word that you've said right that that happens all the time uh what we just did at tennessee state university we've done a uh, three three decades of uh, three generations have had to make that same fight because it wasn't written right uh for example the at tennessee state university we just helped the the, the black university get sue the state of missouri sue the state of tennessee and get over 454 million dollars of old money since 1890 right the reason why the state of tennessee was able to 
withhold the money and why we had three generations of black folk fighting this fight, like literally fighting this fight since the 70s is because the person who was writing stuff, they weren't writing it. So they were all like word of mouth. And so we were able to get it because the, uh, the state rep went back and did some detailed Right, did some detailed notes based on Tennessee Knoxville's money and he saw what years Tennessee State did not get money. We were able to calculate the funding based off that. But we had to, and, and the only reason, and another reason why we're able to get that $454 million is because now it's a it's in the paper of record for the Tennessee's, I mean, it's, now it's in the, uh, it's in the state house paper of record. So now they admitted that we had to get the state to admit that they systematically did not put money in Tennessee state's funding, but we had to write it. So we had not written that with the next generation to be fighting. Let me me clarify what I meant by that. We have to definitely put things in writing, but there are areas that we are afraid to speak of because of thinking of past trauma. That's what I mean by oral tradition. If it's not kept relevant, meaning we have to continue to, to speak and talk and deal with these things, then it'll be forgotten. So if we're living in today, still dealing with the, the pains of, of 30 years ago, because we're pushing it to the side, whether it's I don't want to address it or see these sort of things anymore or read certain things about these past events, then we're bound to forget it. Well, um, Jake, what do you think about all this? I know coming from your your perspective, um, is this something you can see the European culture wanting to implement in our um in this new culture in America? Um, well, I well, I agree with D. I mean, you know, uh, the the oral history I think is um really important um in terms of. Uh, passing down stories, passing down lessons, passing down, um, uh, you know, different histories. Um, and of course, you know, that uh, the technology of writing or being literate, you know, was denied to black people in the United States for so long. Um, and so that, um, you know, they go hand in hand. And so what I'm trying to say is I think, my guess, right, my sense is that there'd be a lot of, of rich black oral history and stories. And we know, uh, you know, from, narr- from narratology or psychology that stories shape worlds. Language shapes identities. And so being able to have a space to tell these stories in the media, creating that space, which is now predominated mostly by white people, who crowd out those black stories, I think could be really transformative. Um, and I think you guys have mentioned, you know, social media is a great way to get out of, you know, quote unquote, mainstream media, right. That seems to be racist in a lot of ways. Um, but social media, alternative forms of media, you know, I think being creative, can be really powerful and the younger generation is really good at that thinking outside of the box. How can we do things differently? But, um, I, I, I do really strongly feel that 
stories and narratives and being able to tell these things um, can transform people's lives and, and change the course of history. Right. You just said about uh, <clears throat> with the social media aspect, and I'm just going to kind of hop, hop, hop back on that algorithm word one more time, because there are stories that I could put out or some stories somebody else can put out, a white guy can put out, for example, I'll never see it on my social media. It could even be helpful. It could be helpful things, but depending on what I've already viewed, that's going to tell Twitter what to feed me. What What's on my, on TikTok, they have the For You page or FYP. What what comes up on my For You page? And if I'm a racist, I'm only going to receive more racist stuff or more things that you know support my vision or my beliefs. I saw this a lot during the um, during the last election right here that we had um, with uh, Trump and Biden. I would see Trump will have some commercials that will pop up on. So I saw somebody's YouTube channel, and I've never really saw a Trump campaign unless I went to go look for it. But on somebody else's, I saw the Trump and everything they were saying. I was like, oh God, that's why that's why they think this way because these are the stories that they're seeing. I would never see that story. My story, the story that I get fed from our algorithm, is going to be something totally different. So it goes back to that system. What systems are going to be in place, or what systems can we change, even with social media, that allows for the stories to actually break free and get out? Go ahead, Antonio. My bad. Yeah. So I think stories can be lies. So I had to look up what story meant, right? And uh, the definition of story is uh, exactly what it's. Uh, an account of imagine of imagery of real people of events told for entertainment right an account of you know so i just wanted to make sure we we got there right then i wanted to go into like my points right after that um what is a black person's oral history we don't even know it because the stories got lost right because we should if stories get if stories are real why we don't know the stories from africa why we don't know what white man raped our grandma we shouldn't know the exact right man because the, the story got told to somebody, right? Man. Then uh, if we had, think about, uh, we do, do everybody on this uh, call know who the first person that died for America was to create the country? I have no a story, huh? I have no clue. There's a black man. See, the story ain't been told. The, the, the first person to die for the American revolution was a black man. That story ain't been told. So if you don't write it and you don't tell it, what, what a story can be anything so uh stories get lost and for one more thing have you all ever had yams before oh yeah come had yams all y'all say y'all had yams you've been to africa yeah. where'd you get yams at you had candy yams at your grandma's house mm -hmm. that's a story that got told right them ain't yams so a story got told us that the yams that we eat for thanksgiving is yams but them ain't yams we can't make yams in america those are sweet what, what are they there? Sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes. You know what I mean? But we've been told our whole life that story, that lie, that those are yams. You know what I'm saying? So uh, once again, when America was written, they wrote down what they, you think uh, Native Americans who owned Osage, who owned the, the Osage people who owned the University of Missouri, uh, the story that they were told when they, when they thought they were loaning them land, they thought they were sharing land with them. The story they, they were told was they can hunt and fish on the land forever. But what was written was you can hunt and fish for 11 years. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So you got to write this stuff down. And whatever y'all doing, if y'all talking to some kids, make sure y'all tell them write it down. We, we ain't listening to no stories. You want it black and right, white. 
<laughs> That's why I'm buying property and, and pulling up farms and having uh and putting up stuff out in the hood, man. Because we, we want it in black and white. You can come see what I got. It ain't no stories. And that right there is your CRT because you you are trying to once again stop this, this franchise. You're showing what's showing the evidence. You're showing the facts, and it's so relevant, so important. But but if I if I didn't know know my brother tonight, I never jump on this call. And so these stories never get told. I don't get. D, I know DJ wanted to say something. No, I mean I, I definitely understand your point. Um, definitely things have to be put in stone in writing. You don't want to get. I'm. I think the the disconnect is I'm not saying to not scribe our our history down, but um. This going back to what we were saying earlier, you can learn more from a sixty second TikTok or from a 15 minute YouTube video, I could, you know, learn this vast amount of information in a short period of time through audio and video and video than traditional reading. So not let's not write and keep track and put things in writing and fall for the soothsayers words, but definitely the conversation like we're having now has to continue to be had amongst generations in order to remember so that we can progress is what I mean. That could be a great way to segue onto our last topic for this episode, um, which is since we're talking about history, like right now, history in the making right now, as far as the January 6th insurrection, since we're talking about the whole 2020 election, that which was, was caused, that caused that January 6th insurrection. But what do you think moving into the future? Do you think that story is going to be told differently than what we know as it is happening now? It's already been told different, right? So we all saw something. And if you look at what's been coming out of the house, they don't even want to investigate it. So the story's already being told different from what happened January 6th. It went from us, uh, it went from a riot. They're not even talking about the person that got killed. Mm. They're not talking about those, those were traitors. If you want to know what our country really was standing on, like they Everyone who entered the Capitol building should have died that day. That's the way our country was built. Uh, they were a traitor. They carried the they carried a, a flag of a defeated enemy of our country in our state capitol and walked out alive. And they killed some of the people protecting our country. And I'm a I'm a strong America. I know I'm more American than anybody who walked in that capitol. Uh, they they no one should have been able to walk out of that capitol. That's the way our country was built. And just to be crazy, I think it was six people that died um, in the insurrection. I think it was one or two police officers or Capitol Police officers. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, yeah, people did die. The way our country is written, according to, I talked to, the way our country is written, uh, reach out to anybody who, who, who's been around. Anybody that's a traitor to our country, and if they go into our building, that was an act of war. Everyone who entered that building should have died. That's the country we live in. Well, I, I can't imagine what if it was a mob of uh, black people uh, that tried to storm the Capitol, how that would have been different. Have you seen the mob? Have you seen what a mob of police have done to a group of black people in Tulsa? You see what they did in Atlanta? Yeah, we know we know if a mob, if a mob of black people never would have tried that, by the way, because we know the consequences of it. We, we don't we never tried to enter. Uh, I, I'm here in Atlanta. I led the protest here in Atlanta. 
We never tried to enter the police station. We saw what they did in Seattle. People from Seattle flew down to Atlanta. They tried to get us to enter the police station. The black people, we stayed back. We wanted no parts of that. I feel like ultimately we're getting back to the same point, whether it be, I feel like the common thought is that America respects and takes care of America and black people feel American, but America has shown you that you are not. So including you in the history. So if they don't want you to touch race subjects and I don't mean to backpedal into the last topic, but if they don't want you to touch certain race topics in school, then what does history look like? If it, if the curriculum going forward, let's just talk about, you know, roses and you really weren't picking cotton because of this. You were like an indentured slave. You were an indentured servant. Um, you know, yeah, they were technically terrorists and um, traitors to the country. Or, yeah, he might have been hostile to the police. But and then you flip it to the other side with black people and our experience in America. It's the opposite. So at what point do we just take things at face value and notice to you, I'm still treated like an enemy. And why? I'm sorry, go ahead. Sir. You, you, oh, I thought he was about to say something. And why are we not making the in-game adjustments to what you have been experiencing that's been going on for our generation, the previous generation, as far back as we can think? And at what point does the alarm go off in your head and say, these things don't work for me, but we continue to try these things. At what point do we pivot into a new area to get new results? Whether it be because it it dawns to me that this is pushing you in the direction of for self, for self, teach for self, uh, police for self, legislate, legislate. And create your own code for self. And then if that leads to canceling, are you prepared to step up in place of because as as one to if, if you start to take away the 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 foundation of capitalism, what's at the bottom is what's left. So do we build from there? And is America telling you that indirectly what you're asking for is to give you the power that I don't want to give you. Because when you look at it historically, no two people can rule at the same time. As much as we would like to sit and say, Oh, this someone has to be here and someone has to allow the transition to happen. So until we start to think and realize the position that you're asking for and if the power havers are willing to give that up, then we're going to be running in a circle. Go ahead, Sir Preston. You can go. Um, now, go ahead. Go ahead, Miss Lewis. I, I, I saw you piping up. I, 
no. Well, you can go. You you've been waiting, so I'll let you go first. Um. So 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 so, America as a a thought process, right? Or America as a division of America. What is America? Is kind of what I was hearing while he was while he, uh, DJ was talking, and so it made me think that um. Nobody wants to think that America is a bad place. I don't think America is a bad place. I don't, I don't think it is. Do we have things that we need to fix? Of course. But the thing that scares people is when they hear they're wrong. No one likes to hear that they're wrong. Think about you in a relationship. The, the thing that your wife or spouse or whoever, your husband, whoever says is wrong, that's the hardest thing for you to hear. And that's what they're trying to resist. That's what's being resisted. It's not the fact that these things didn't or didn't happen. They don't want to hear about it. They have the power to stop us from hearing about it. What we are doing is we're trying to find a way to still get that information and get that, get those facts taught. So to say, to go back to what you were talking about with being creative and then go back to Mr. Lewis's point, which is writing down. Um, both of those forms are forms of documentation. So, they, yeah, they both need to be done. Um, I think there's a quote that says, the quickest way to hide something from a black person is to put it in the book. I don't know if I'm the only person that's ever heard that. But to me, it didn't hit me until later in life. When I was like, what does that mean? You can write down things, but people aren't going to read it. So until people actually, I'm not talking about the whole, I'm not talking about the black community. I'm talking about each individual person, black, white, Hispanic, Latinx, all those, until the people decide that, hey, I'm going to pick something up and I'm going to look for that information until they have the desire to do it is not going to be done. So we can't just sit here and spin our wheels, but we have to find ways to get people to get interested in the information. It all can't be depressing. Um, it all can't be written. It all can't be something that, that's looked at as superficial or not taken seriously. So everybody staying in their lane and pushing the information out in those different directions as long as it's the same vision that's being taught which is let's let's address the issues let's address these elephants in the room why are these white people able to storm the capitol but we can't protest peacefully in the street without being attacked or arrested or made to be or called thugs or have all these other people from the sidelines coming in and starting to destroy buildings and then blaming it on us. Why are these stories not being told? Why are the stories that actually tell the facts, why are they being hidden? Why is it every time something about CRT is posted on Instagram, the story is buried underneath everything else? So it's a matter of people being able to, to face when they're wrong. And if white America, and I'm not sorry, saying every white person, because I know, but if the majority or the, those with power aren't willing to accept the responsibility and willing to step up and let those stories be told, it's never going to get told. Yeah, I, I uh, appreciate that. And I think, too, to reiterate your point, that it requires a lot of uh, inner self-reflective and psychological work to see the ways that someone is privileged or not privileged or discriminated against or not discriminated against. And to be frank, most privileged people in privileged positions don't really want to don't really want to do that work. Uh, why bother? Um, you know, I come from a small town in Illinois. There were two black people that lived in that town out of six thousand. 
why, you know, why bother doing that work? It doesn't impact my daily life. Uh, so it's laziness, I think. Um, it's poor education to get back to the CRT. You know, I think we need an educational system that teaches skills and tools um, and interventive strategies that can help students think about their contextual place in the world. So we're not all just isolated individuals. We didn't just come from nothing, right? Everybody has a heritage, everybody has a history. And in the United States, that heritage and that history has been predominantly through and through racist. That's just a fact, right? People, white people in particular, don't want to hear that um, because, uh, you know, you get the argument that I just heard on the news today that uh, regarding reparations. Mitch McConnell gets in front of the Senate and says he thinks reparations are a bad idea um, because he doesn't think that he should be held accountable for what his ancestors did, you know, generations ago. That argument, or that position, rather, is not really even an argument, right? It's just a claim. That claim in itself decontextualizes the whole situation, right? Well, I'm, I was just born. I just came out of nothing. Well, in fact, you exist in a genealogy, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, or even your, who knows, your grandparents, because Mitch McConnell is, what, probably 200 at this point, you know, probably own slaves, Right, so it, it, I mean, to to you know make the point again, it requires a careful level of of thought, of self reflection, and personal inner work that most people um, don't want to do. We, well, I shouldn't say we, but you know, uh, minorities, gay individuals, black individuals, women, we all have to do that work part of the time. Um, because of our position in society. We're for, I mean, we, we have to. A, a straight, white, heterosexual man doesn't have to if he doesn't want to. Um, so, um, you know, I think there's something to be said for um, having CRT and helping students, this next generation, become more informed about these kinds of uh, systemic forms of discrimination. And we're going to conclude with that, with this uh, episode, because I know we're going to talk about um, our next episode, Toxic Masculinity. I know we're going to talk about that soon. So we're going to end this off for right now. Um, Can I uh, give two books real quick that I'm going to read for CRT? Um, and that's because, like I say, I just, I'm really new to it, right? So I don't want to give a whole bunch. So I'm just going off of the things that I've read. But two books that I'm interested in reading, and um, if anybody wants to read those and talk about it, please feel free. Um, the first one is They Came Before Columbus. That's by Ivan Van Satima. All right. And then also Racism Without Racist. And that's by Bonilla Silva. So those are two books that for those of you like me who need to know more about this CRT and kind of get a better understanding of it, um, please reach out to those books. Tell me what you tell me your thoughts. You can find me on Instagram at Sir Harden, C-E-R-H-A-R-D-E-N. Can I just say one quote that 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 constantly kept coming to mind? Um, Malcolm X, only a fool will let his enemy teach his children, and I think that we should keep that in mind. Um, the fact that we have to, the fact that we have to ask for these things to be added into um, 
areas of study, especially when we're going into our community, shows the lack of power that we that we are have in reality. Tony, any lasting comments? Uh, just say one more thing on stories get lost. Uh, I know, uh, Sir Sir Princeton. I know you said that you want to hide something from a black person putting in the book. You know how that story really was said, right? And you know one so, and you know it also won a story that's a true thing. They literally hid stuff from us by putting it in a book. You know what I'm saying? And that was written down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, uh, we have the most literate black society. We have the most literate society in the history of the planet. And so we're making different decisions right now based off us knowing how to read and us knowing that this stuff is wrong, right? And so th there's only so far they're going to be able to go. I appreciate being a part of this uh, conversation again. If anybody wants to uh, check out things I'm doing, uh, you can follow me on all social media outlets at uh, Antonio Lewis ATL. And my uh, website is uh, AntonioLewisATL.com. Uh, and if you're looking for any anything else, I'm at Organize to Mobilize. So let's go. All right. And that wraps up our episode. Um, it's episode three of Point of View Uncensored. Again, I am Dr. Renaissance. I'm Dr. Jake. I'm DJ the Great. I'm Sir Princeton Harden. Antonio Lewis. Yeah, so thank you. Um, thank you once again. Uh, we'll see you on our next episode. Uh, please follow us on our social networks, um, YouTube. have a YouTube channel called Point of View Uncensored. Please look, up, look us up there, and we'll see you on our next episode of Point of View Uncensored. Thank you. Have a great evening. <laughs>